welcome, welcome everyone. I, I thank you for joining me today. Um, like she said, my name is Ty Moore. Um, I am with uh, Hendel Group. Uh, and just to give you a, a quick uh, you know, 6,000 foot uh, view of the Hendel Group, we're the largest international um, executive life coaching company uh, in the world. Uh, we've been around for about 17 years and we have several divisions. Right? We have our educa education division where our methodology was actually crafted at MIT. Uh, we still teach at MIT as well as Harvard, Columbia, uh, NYU, Syracuse, Stanford. I think we're in about 43 different uh, colleges and universities. Uh, we have our corporate division where we work with uh, everything from startup businesses to very large businesses like uh, Live Nation and Ticketmaster and Warner Music and, and places like that. And we really go into those businesses to shift the culture of the business, which inevitably shifts the results that they produce. Uh, we have our life coaching division where uh, that's the more personal arm of our organization, uh, where we work individually with clients. We coach about a thousand clients a month in our life coaching division. Um, we have um, our media division where we operate in television and, and radio and podcast. Um, uh, it also, you know, we released our first book, Maybe It's You, out of that division. Um, and it also houses our digital coaching platform, Enter You, which I'll tell you more about a little bit later. Amazing groundbreaking uh, uh, program that which uh, we've, we've, we've created, and we're excited about what we're able to offer to the world, world with that. Uh, we have our sports division where um, we work with all layers of the sports industry uh, to uh, from leagues themselves down to teams, front offices, coaching staffs, players, retired and transitioning players. And really what we do there is help them raise the integrity with which they operate so that they can produce the same types of amazing results off the field as they do on the field or quarter ice or whatever, which inevitably has a cyclical byproduct. Um, and we have our diversity uh, offering, uh, which is what I lead and um, what Chelsea uh, gave such a wonderful intro about. So today we will be discussing privilege and what we're going to do about it. And this is one of um, the topics I truly enjoy speaking about because um, when we can have honest conversation about that, it is amazing what we can do and transform and shift. So um, my goal is for us to have a really interactive uh, uh, opportunity to engage each other. Um, I'll ask you questions. I hope that you throw it in the chat. I hope that you raise your hand and actually audibly ask me questions and uh, engage in the program and share experiences, things of that nature, because it really creates greater value for everyone that's participating today. So um, my hope is that you're, you're interactive and you uh, engage. Um, but I wanna start with a little quiz of sorts. All right, so I have a couple questions and I'd like you to simply answer yes or no, okay? And if you wanna pop those in the chat, that would be amazing. All right, here we go. First question, have you ever been mocked because of your accent or ethnicity? Wonderful. Have you ever relied primarily on public transportation as a way to get around? Awesome. Have you ever felt nervous at an airport security checkpoint? Great. Um, have you ever been catcalled? Wonderful. Um, have you ever been discriminated against because of your race? Great. Um, as a kid, uh, was it ever a challenge for your parents 
to pay for you to uh, play a sport or join a drama club or um, have a private tutor or attend a private school. Awesome, I love all the interaction in the chat. You guys, are, you have me really excited today. Uh, finally, um, have you ever had to worry about being sexually harassed? Thank you so much for your participation. All right, let's see how you guys scored. If you answered no to any of these questions, the simple fact is you have a privilege. You exist in a seat of privilege. So let's talk about this a little bit, right? And as we talk about privilege, um, it's not intended to make anyone feel shame or, or guilt um, for what they've been afforded in life, right? Um, or what they've experienced or what they have access to. So let me start by defining privilege. Privilege is simply a system by which power is allocated, right? A system by which power is allocated. And when we talk about power, you know, it's a really uh, strange thing to talk about because it can make us feel really weird about it, right? Particularly if we are the ones that have been afforded the power, right? I don't, I don't want to seem like I am uh, using this power to gain advantage over anyone. Um, but the re reality is this. We can't shift something, right, if we feel bad about it. Right or want to avoid it, right? Uh, you know, at Handel, what we say is uh, you can't author and feel bad at the same time. You know how we define authoring. You know, you're authoring any area in your area in your life where these three things are present: where you're happy, you're proud, and you're effective. Happy, proud, effective. Right? We we call it authoring because this is when you put the pen to the pad and you write the way the story goes. Right. But the thing is this, you can't write the way the story goes. You can't author something. You can't make something happen while also sitting inside of a victim position. And that's what happens when you feel bad about something. So we need to you know, eradicate the feeling bad portion. Right. Uh, and the reality is, in order to improve our world, we got to get real. We have to tell the truth and acknowledge the reality of things exactly the way they are, okay? Now, what we need to understand about this is it's uncomfortable, okay? It's uncomfortable. I'm gonna say it, it is uncomfortable talking about privilege, right? But we can't deal with something avoiding the discomfort. Better yet, you can't grow inside of comfort. Whenever you're in your comfort zone and you decide to stay inside of it, you cannot grow. If you're lifting weights or working out, you're never going to grow or get the gains that you want by staying inside the comfort zone. It's when you stretch yourself, you push yourself, you do something that feels a little uncomfortable, that's where growth happens, okay? So we have to do that here. We have to thoroughly explore this topic of privilege and all things inside of diversity, to be honest with you, and really get honest about it if we're going to really take aim at creating a more equitable existence inside of our organizations, uh, inside of our society, or, or, you know, or the world for that matter, right? And part of that is taking on the subject of privilege. Any questions before I move on? Just want to make sure. Great. Oh, there I saw something. All right. So um, as we talk about privilege, right? And I think, you know, from what we just talked about and even that little quiz um, that, that we did earlier, uh, we can align on the fact that it sucks <laughs> not to be, you know, to be a person that's on the other side of privilege. 
and it's challenging to admit that we're in we're we're, we're existing inside of privilege. Um, but why don't we feel comfortable just saying it, right? Or many things inside of the diversity diversity space, for that matter, right? We at Hendel like to say is because we're all awkward. We're all awkward, you know. But what does that really mean, right? So awkward is a voice that exists inside of our heads that makes us feel uncomfortable when we're talking about certain sensitive subjects. For example, I've, I've had countless people uh, express their anxiety over the inner conflict um, that sounds something like this. Right, you know, I want to talk. Yeah, you know, I want to refer to Ty, but do I refer to him as an African American, or do I say black guy? Yeah, damn, I really don't want to say the wrong thing. <laughs> That's awkward, isn't that even an awkward question to ask? Do I call you black guy? Do I call you African American? Right, it's awkward. Yeah, but I think the thing that we're seeking to transform is that awkwardness. Right? How do we become comfortable with being uncomfortable? That's really where our priorities should lie. Right? So let's do this as we talk about privilege. All right. So privilege is a special right or uh, advantage or immunity uh, granted or available to only a particular person or group. Right. Um, you know, privilege, privilege is, is the benefits uh, or, or the benefits and advantages held by a group that's in power or in majority, right? And, you know, the reality is these benefits arise because of the oppression or suppression of another group, a group that isn't in power, a minority group, right? Privilege is what it really is, is the advantages that people have that they don't think about because they often don't have to think about it, <laughs> right? right? They never have to experience the oppressive side. Understanding it requires an active effort. So if I don't know what's happening, like I actively have to do something to move this from, from somewhere in the back of my mind to the forefront of my consciousness, right? So that I can see things from the perspective of another person, a person that is not in privilege, right? That doesn't sit in that seat of privilege, right? So the first truth is that privilege is a system by which power is allocated, right? Now, where there is a system of privilege, there's also a system of oppression that ensures that the scales stay tipped in the favor of those in power, right? So behind every privilege is an imbalance of uh, this distribution of power. There's three things we really need to be aware of here, right? One, the systems of privilege and oppression, they're reinforced by cycle, right? Uh, societal, cultural norms, you know, you know, which include music, art, language, dress, individual perceptions, right? This includes attitudes, right? Prejudices, stereotypes, all of these things, okay? Another thing, like it or not, we are all part of the system, me included, right? As we grow and we absorb cues we receive from the outside and media and everything else, we contribute to this imbalance without even meaning to do so, right? Simply by adhering consciously or unconsciously to the ways of thinking and behaving which support the belief that certain groups are more superior than others. And we all do it. I'm guilty of it just as much as anybody, right? There's certain things because of, you know, positions I've held uh, in my career professionally because of certain schools that I've gone to where I'm like, huh, I'm too good for that. And immediately, I'm implicitly, really explicitly saying, I'm privileged and I'm going to take advantage of it. 
So I have to catch that and be aware of that, right? Privilege and oppression, most of the time, right, is inherited by circumstances that are outside of one's control, like race or, or, or gender, right? We're born into the system. You know, uh, my colleague, Krista, I love the way she puts this. She says, uh, think about it this way. Think about it as the birth jackpot, right? Just because you were born the way you were born, you sit inside of a seat of privilege, right? So for those who have privilege, right, they usually don't realize the benefits they innately have or the imbalance of power they possess and how this imbalance helps them produce uh, favorable outcomes in their lives. It's just a part of their everyday. It's a part of their reality. It's just the way they roll. Okay. This is why making an active attempt at understanding it and checking to understand your privilege is important. Now, for those who don't possess the power, <laughs> the disparity is very stark and constant and always visible for you, right? So for folks that have privilege, typically not even aware of the privilege. But for those on the other side of it, oh, it's very apparent. And it sits in front of you every day, right? There is an imbalance of many elements that impact power, including authority, control, influence, right? All of these things lead to a marginalization and underrepresentation in everything, in our, in, in our, our companies, our communities, society, you name it, you know, our academic, you know, facilities, everything, okay? The misunderstood part is no matter what, no level of imbalance of power actually benefits anyone in the end, right? When women are uh, 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 marginalized and sit outside of privilege and are oppressed because of that, it impacts their families. It impacts their household, including the men. That creates a greater burden, right? So it's a whole cycle that takes place. No one really wins, right? That includes ethnicities and cultures and everything else, right? Okay, any questions about any of that? Don't see anything in the chat. Okay, I'm gonna keep on keeping on, all right. The next truth is that if you have privilege, it doesn't mean that life has necessarily been easy or that you didn't work hard for what you have, right? It simply means that you've benefited from this system that allocates power disproportionately, right? It's just what it is, right? Also, <laughs> privilege is not all-encompassing, right? It's not a static thing. Privilege is circumstantial. For example, um, I grew up uh, in the South Bronx, New York. I saw my NYC person over there. Um, I grew up in the South Bronx, New York during the crack epidemic. And the, the environment was just, you know, destroyed by drug abuse, drug dealing, violence, all of these different things. I grew up on uh, welfare and public assistance and WIC, women, infants, and children. I grew up you know, going to the store using food stamps. I don't think anyone would say I, I was privileged. I absolutely operated on the other side of privilege that was supported by an oppressive system. Okay, fast forward some years due to some people that really saw uh, potential in me and due to you know, some work on my own, I was able to do well scholastically, uh, which culminated in me getting my master's degree from Harvard University. All of a sudden, I was on the completely other side of privilege. It's circumstantial. That's how it goes. You know, a woman can walk down the street 
of you know a certain neighborhood in New York City and feel very nervous or or pretty much any city in the, in the United States, right? And feel very nervous about her well-being and her safety. I never feel that way. I am six foot one, 215 pounds. I go to the gym often. I feel really comfortable walking down the street. I have privilege. But the circumstance shifts. I'm often petrified when I see a cop car with his lights on behind me. Because I know that I'm on the other side of privilege at that point. So privilege is circumstantial, no matter what, right? And most of us, right, will find ourselves in that same type of dichotomy, which is why when I asked the questions earlier, you saw yeses and noes and yeses and noes and yeses and noes. You answered no to some questions and yes to some other questions, right? Because it is this dichotomy that we live in, right? Privileged in one setting, not privileged in another, right? What we have to admit is we all have privilege in one setting, right? And we have to acknowledge that where we have it, right? When we can do that, we can actually and actually see where we have it, we can do something about it. And we can do something about the system and we can do something about the folks who sit outside of privilege, okay? All right. Um, I you got a question in the chat. Awesome. All right. From uh, isn't it our understanding of privilege relative, privileged over home? Do American Americans consider enough how much power and wealth they have over the rest of the population in the world? Who is responsible for determining the re this relationship? Considering who is privileged, who is privileged? Isn't it really just our conscious within ourselves? Um, I don't believe it's the consciousness in ourselves, but I agree with everything else that you said in that question. Because the reality is it is relative. I just said, you know, described me growing up outside of privilege in the Bronx, you know, with welfare and violence around me. But man, I go to, you know, pretty much everywhere else in the world. Those are first world problems that I had. I still was able to eat. I still knew where my next meal was coming from for the most part, right? So it's that that underscores the point that I was just making that privilege is circumstantial. It completely is circumstantial, circumstantial based on where you sit. Right. That's a phenomenal question. Great question. And it is relative. Right. Though I may consider myself underprivileged here in the U.S. based on my upbringing that I just shared with you in you know, the vast majority of the rest of the world, they would say, oh, he is absolutely privileged that he was given these food stamps, was able to get food, and his whole family ate that night. That's real. And we have to acknowledge that. And we have to acknowledge what it is that we can do to impact it. But at first, the first step is acknowledging that we have. Fantastic question. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody have uh, an instance uh, of uh, privilege on one side or the other that they like to type into the chat? I like this to be an interactive moment here. I feel like I'm lecturing. Also, feel free to, um, if you want to raise your hand also, we can allow you to talk if you would like to come on mic and share as well. Ah, I saw something pop up. I thought it was a question. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Amy, all right. I've had many privileges of race, class, and education. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you so much for that. And the reality is um, acknowledging it only puts us in the position to do something about it and to also have a heightened level of empathy for folks that sit on the other side of privilege. Thanks, Amy. Anybody else? Oh, Y'all making me work hard today. <laughs> 
Cool beans. Or, oh, I thought I saw something. All right. So I think the point I want to make now is, you know, the reason we don't talk about privilege um, is because, and this is not us here, this is everywhere, right? It's because we know that on the other side of privilege uh, and advantages is someone else's disadvantages you know, and oppression, right? And it, for the most part, we don't want to be seen as people who benefit at the expense of others, right? It's really awkward, as we talked about earlier. So we try to downplay it uh, and oh, and be defensive. Bridget had something to say. I okay, very interesting to me that my privilege is definitely not linked to what circle I'm in that day. I'll give an example. Okay, I'm gonna wait for Bridget's example. While I'm waiting for Bridget's example, I'll jump to oh, okay, she just said, as a black woman. When I am in my community of friends and family in the community I grew up in, I feel a certain level of power and belonging. It's circumstantial. Absolutely. Anything else you want to share there when you're not in that community, when you're not around you know, that? However, great. When I have been in certain work situations, it's been different. By the way, guys, this is a great point that she makes. Um, this is why we tend to try to uh, surround ourselves with people who look like us. Because it feels uncomfortable to be outside of that privilege. So I want to make sure I'm in a space where I can. And what that does is dilutes what it is that we offer the world. And this is the poison of not acknowledging and doing something about privilege. Great. Um, Jenny Poon said, how do we not get burnt out from the constant awareness of being oppressed? As a person of color, the daily trauma is hard to compartmentalize. For sure. For sure. The thing is this. Um, I have been there. Trust me. I have been there and I have been at that end of the day where it's just like, you know what, skip this. I'm, I'm tired of this BS. But the reality is I have to operate solely based on my own personal integrity. And how I define personal integrity is when your head, your heart, and your actions all align with your highest values. Head, heart, actions all align with your highest values right? It's when I do what I know I'm supposed to do to show up as the best version of myself, that's when I'm in personal integrity. And it's that internal thing I do that gives me motivation and inspiration to keep moving forward because then I'm like, you know what? I'm not concerning myself with how you're judging me, how you're regarding me, how you're operating with me. I'm going to make sure I sit and stand inside of my truth and do what it is that, that, that aligns with my integrity. So that's what I would say, uh, Jenny. And I think that also, uh, uh, ah, you, that was your question. How to navigate code switching. Any tips? Yes, stop code switching. <laughs> stop code. I, I tell you, you'll see me in... The, so I'm, a, I'm an executive here. I've been an executive for the greater part of the last 20 years of my life. I will be with the high, high, high executives of Live Nation. And I'll be like, hey, what up? How you doing? Nah, this is just me. I'm chilling. You know why I say I'm chilling? Because I'm chilling. Because <laughs> that's what I do. The reality is the burden that you speak to, Jenny, is the burden of assimilation when you have to code switch. Because the only reason I'm code switching is so that I can gain acceptance from someone that's in a seat of privilege. But as I'm code switching, it actually takes me out of integrity, all right? Now, there's appropriateness <laughs> to what you need to do. Like, you're not gonna hear me curse it up here on this, uh, on this uh, webinar, this seminar, but I'm absolutely gonna laugh. 
I'm absolutely going to be very much who I am. Yeah, Stacy could come on and be like, yeah, that's very much who Ty is all day, every day. Because this is who I am, and I'm not going to code switch for anyone because it, it creates an undue pressure and burden on me to act as someone other than my true and authentic self. So now I'm having to manage two different identities, and that is taxing. Stop managing it. Do not manage it anymore. You let people know I am going to be who I am authentically made to be. And with that, I'm going to show you how awesome I am inside of that person. That's living to your own level of integrity. All right, let me see uh, what else I have. Edwin, um, I have had privilege uh, in education, material wants, and certain access for, our, uh, for every opportunity that I wanted to pursue. Thank you for sharing, Edwin. Love that. You know, I've had you know, privilege in education, and because of that education, material wants, I pretty much can have most things I want, right? And access grows, right? What, and I'll speak to this a little bit later, what, it's not about the privilege I have, it's what I do with the privilege. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. I'm loving all of the interactivity here. Thank you so much, guys. Um, uh, Bridget said, or on vacation or in stores, wherever I am the other, right? You know what, Bridget, I want you to embrace being the other. <laughs> what, what dish have you ever had, Bridget, that tastes good with only one ingredient? My family is from the South, from Mississippi and from Alabama, right? And in Mississippi, I grew up in New York. Oh, that's where my mom is from. And in Mississippi and Alabama, they make gumbo. And oh, that gumbo is good. But why is the gumbo good? Because there are so many different ingredients and seasonings and herbs and spices and all of these things. And it makes this amazing. I haven't eaten in quite some time. So if my mouth starts watering, guys, I need you to bear with me, right? Because I shouldn't have started talking about gumbo, but darn it, Bridget took me here, right? So it's the, it's the beauty of being the other that creates the scrumptious a uh, 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 bowl or pot of gumbo. Embrace it. Embrace being the other. That's that. That will grant you freedom and liberty, and it will really help you just you know throw off the shackles. I don't care who you think I should be, because me trying to be who you think I should be is burdensome. That's hard, and then I have to look at myself the next day in the mirror and say. Who are you? And that's a tough conversation to have. And if I am my authentic self every day, I can answer that question and feel great about who, I, what I'm, look, who I'm looking at in the mirror. Great. Ah, Shelly said, I stopped code switching a while ago. Shelly, I wish you would come on the, the audio. Raise your hand. No one wants to come on the audio. I, I, I need Bridget here. I need Jenny here. I need Edwin to join me on audio. You guys are hurting my feelings. I would love to hear you guys. Um, but thank you for all the questions and all the comments. Anybody else? This is awesome. I much prefer to do this, guys. <laughs> um, I, yeah, one of my careers, um, I uh, was a college professor and I taught business classes, uh, principles of management, project management, entrepreneurship, sports management, all of these different topics, right? Um, so being that in this, in this professor seat is very natural for me, but it's not pr preferred by me. I would much rather uh, engage. Um, any, anything else? Oh, thank you, Carolyn. You're about to make me blush. <laughs> Black guys do blush, guys. Black guys do blush. Okay. <laughs> by the way, you see how I laugh about that? We have to have a sense of humor and you know levity about race and about diversity and all of these different things. That way we can be comfortable with it, right? Get comfortable inside of the, the discomfort. Okay. Anybody else? Hey, uh, yes. Oh, there we Josh. go. Yeah. All right. When we think about managing identity and people of color expressing themselves, men and women of color are often seen as aggressive. How do we flip that stereotype slash assumption to get closer to expressiveness and passion 
not aggression. Love, love, love the question, right? Because, um, dang, you're taking me down a whole nother road right now. We're about to have a, a, you know, a part two to this. But that takes me down the road of microaggression. Because the reality is what you're describing there, Josh, is a microaggression, right? You misunderstand my passion for aggressiveness, right? So what you say to me is, for example, oh, uh, 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 Ty, you know, you're, you're, you know, this is a true story, right? Um, I was in uh, not this uh, organization, but another organization. And uh, there was a gentleman like, oh my God, Ty, you, know, you did such a great job. And you know, in the presentation, you're just, I couldn't believe how well-spoken you were. And I was like, what? Like, why couldn't you believe that? Why was that hard for you to believe? That's an example of a microaggression, right? Those small insults and stuff like that, right? And the thing about a microaggression, I like to call it death by a thousand cuts, okay? Um, so when you look at, you know, what happened with George Floyd and you watch that video, that's death by a machete, right? It's very clear to you, it's very, you know, you know, most people will be like, that is wrong, right? No way I, you know, that, that I could ever, you know, condone that. Microaggressions are different, right? I like to call it death by a thousand cuts because if I respond to that microaggression in a way that I might be impassioned to do, you might be like, oh, Ty, just calm down. Like, dude, like, I was trying to give you a compliment. I was like, you're so well-spoken. Why are you? Why are you acting like that? And what happens there is I'm then more likely to mute myself after that because I don't want to be seen as the angry black guy. So what happens is time after time as I'm doing that, I'm actually killing a part of my voice each time, each time, each time, thereby being death by a thousand cuts. So what happens is or what you need to do is actually speak to it. Like, you know what? It's interesting that you had the impression that um, I was aggressive. But really what it was is I'm very passionate about this topic. And in my culture, right, culturally, passion looks like this. So educating folks does two things. Number one, it frees you. It frees your voice. You're not muting yourself. And that's liberating. That's number one. Number two is potentially it gives the other person an opportunity for edification, right? Potentially I edify you. Maybe I don't. Either way, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to be authentically me and I'm going to use my voice. So that's my answer to that. Um, okay, Sue, so, other than being our authentic selves, how can we help those who are not privileged in a certain circumstance. Sue, you are stealing my thunder. <laughs> but I'll jump to where, where I was going to go. Um, one of the things that we can do, then Amy put stars. Um, if we sit, sit in a seat of privilege, first things first, acknowledge it, right? First things first, acknowledge it. Second thing that we can do is use our privilege as a, a, a value to those who are not in the seat of privilege so that we can ally with them, right? So that we can create this spirit and this relationship of allyship so that our privilege can then be transferable. That's what we can do, right? And there's millions of ways to do that. But that's what we can do for um, folks that are not privileged in a certain circumstance that we find ourselves privileged in is extend our privilege. Awesome, loving this. Right, Amy, you just do stars. Not quite sure what it means, but I hope it means something good. <laughs> Ty, I'm gonna ask you a question and then we have Edwin raising his hand also. Awesome. Um, so we have a question, um, one of our attendees asked, I work in academia and admins are resistant to giving a third party 
are resistant to getting a third-party DEI audits or higher training. They want to do it themselves with surveys and internal workshops. How do you convince the, ad, the admin people to put money down um, and convince that it needs to be external? It's a great question. It's a wonderful question. Um, and the so I do lots of DEI training. And the first thing I do in my DEI training, I introduce myself, then I jump right to the business case, right? Before I even get to the training, actually, when I'm in the proposal stage, right, I go to the business case. All right, so let me show you what are the pitfalls of businesses and schools and organizations and everyone else who don't do what's necessary in the space of DEI and DEI training. As it relates to the audit or the assessment, there's so many use cases because I've actually developed uh, de organizational DEI assessments myself. There's, so I'm the third party. Call on me whenever you need. But um, there are so many uh, use cases out there and so many stories of organizations that chose to do it in-house and all of the blind spots that they weren't able to recognize because they were looking through it, looking at the entire process through a certain lens that would not allow them to really comprehensively understand the experience in the organization, right? So it's about showing them the business case of if you miss these things, understand the peril which you make yourself available to. That, that, that's the best approach to that. And then you said Edwin had his hand up? Yeah, I'm going to allow Edwin to talk. So Edwin, I'm going to go ahead and you can come um, and unmute yourself if you'd like. Can you hear me? Yes, Edwin. Yep. Hi. Okay. Yeah. So I have a question about, um, so acknowledging uh, privilege, as we discussed, is really important in, in establishing a lot of like important relationships and structures and rules and fairness and equity. But how do we be public about our privilege? Because um, if we know that we might be or we are privileged over another person and we want to interact with them in a way that's equitable and fair and constructive, do we, is it like this sort of like tacit not spoken thing or is it like a sort of understood thing or is it something that we're publicly or overtly open about? Um, the, it, I love the question. Thank you so much, Edwin. And thank you so much for, you know, coming on and being audible. I, in, engagement is really important to me. Um, and and um, I'm very appreciative that you came on. So to answer that question, it's exactly how we started today. And it's exactly what we're doing right now. The first step in doing it um, and in, uh, in trying to uh, eradicate the oppressive systems that uh, abusive privilege create is openly acknowledging your own privilege, right? So I will walk in somewhere and be like, you know what? I have a certain privilege and this privilege gives me certain advantages that you know, make life unfair for people who sit outside of that privilege or people that are marginalized. I've acknowledged that and I wanna do something about it. That's how you have to approach it, right? If you try to just kind of do it in a tacit way or you try to um, just you know, tiptoe around it, yeah, likely, you're not going to accomplish things in as efficacious of fashion as you would like to, right? What we really need to do with all things in this space is be very vocal and upfront about it. That's my answer. Thanks, everyone. You've got another question from Sue, Ty. Okay. Is it ever okay to draw attention to the fact that you are in an unprivileged position in a given situation, basically inviting others to acknowledge your lack of privilege? It's always okay to operate inside of your truth and use your voice, period, period. Now, in that situation, what I would do is say, you know what, I acknowledge that there are systemic, uh, uh, there, there are systemic um, structures that are in place here that have me outside of a seat of privilege. What I'd like to do is partner with you to strip those down so that there could be greater equity inside of this organization or inside of this group or whatever it is, right? Um, that's how I would approach it. But 
absolutely use your voice. What I ask you not to do is victimize yourself, right? Don't be like, this is unfair to me and now I'm just going to be upset about it, right? Acknowledge what's going on. Yes, this is absolutely unfair. There are uh, systemic and oppressive uh, forces at play here. Um, and what I'm seeking to do is to create, uh, create solutions in order that all people can be uh, can be inclusive inside of this process or inside of whatever this is. Awesome. We also um, have Chris that raised his hand, or and I or Chris. I'm not sure if you're a he or she or non-binary, so I'm just going to allow you to talk. <laughs> Hi. Yes. Um, so uh, on the topic of like calling out privilege and acting on it rather than being passive, I, I do see a lot of uh, my colleagues and friends who are scared of doing the wrong thing and being on the whole end, other end of the spectrum. And so what are some questions to ask ourselves when maybe that fear of saying the wrong thing um, uh, creeps up? Got it. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting. I do a whole thing on how to have hard conversations about diversity. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that uh, I always say is, um, first things first, um, you know, approach every conversation in this space with respect. Have respect for the sensitivity of the conversation on both sides. That's number one. Number two, whatever preconceptions you have, put them aside, right? The reality is we've all had experiences that are real to us, but there's an experience on the other side that we may need to make ourselves available to that we need to uh, take into account. So let's put our preconceptions aside. Next, like examine your motivation. Examine your motivation for why it is that you're looking to engage just or have this conversation. That motivation will be very telling for you as you go about having the conversation about whatever it is. The next thing, and I said this earlier, embrace being uncomfortable. Embrace, this, this is not, if you're looking for everything you talk about, particularly in this space to be comfortable, nothing's going to change. That's why the step before that, I said, examine your motivation, right? <laughs> right? If your motivation is fine, then you have to accept the discomfort that comes with this conversation. So that's what I would say. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank, thank you, Chris. Um, Stacy, I'm gonna turn it over to you. I think you had some questions in the chat and then I know we have a question from Terry as well as Angie is raising their hand to talk. So um, I'll turn it over to Stacy to ask the next, qu next question and then I'll ask Terry's question and then we'll turn it over to Angie. Oh, sure. I think he had covered um, what was in the chat. Um, so okay. I was just looking, I'm looking at Terry's question now. You want me to go ahead and ask that one? Sure. Great. Okay. Ty, you've got from Terry in the Q&A. Um, how do we teach children about privilege? Would you use the concept of fairness? Um, I would teach children, um, and I actually do. Um, I have children. Um, I teach my son about privilege. And I teach him that by going to soup. I, we, I take him to a soup kitchen, right? And I take him to, you know, feed those who are less privileged. Every night when we have dinner, um, and, you know, not to get religious or anything, but um, when we give our thanks for what we have, um, my son always, and he's four years old, he's four years old, he always says, you know, and, you know, I, you know, I hope that others who don't have this, you know, can, can have it and do better, right? So he start, he's already making the, identification of, you know, there are folks that have stuff and there are folks who don't have stuff. And the folks that have stuff should, you know, hope for, be for better for the folks who don't have stuff. And really that's what we're supposed to be doing as adults. <laughs> that's really, and if we can do something about it, let's do something about it. And that's why we go to the soup kitchen. So I think kids learn through example, right? We can talk, 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 kids learn through example. So those are the things that I do with my four-year-old um, for him to understand uh, you know, the, the, the principle of privilege and many other things, thankfulness and everything else. 
Awesome. I'm going to turn it over to Angie now. So Angie, you can go ahead and unmute yourself when you're ready. Yeah. Hi, um, this is Angie from Colorado. Thank you so much for, I, I really appreciate so much that you've shared and um, I really appreciated your kind of focus of, um, you know, like saying, yeah, if, if someone is um, on the other side of, of privilege and, and not, you know, suffering from lack of privilege, it's, a, it's good to speak up about that, but then also not to um, kind of fall into, I guess, a victimization mentality. But I just wanted to know your thoughts, especially about the um, idea of like uh, the welfare system, for example, because it sounds like you have experience with that. And, and sometimes people that I try to talk to and try to raise awareness um, with about privilege and those kinds of issues will the one thing they'll say is that, oh, well, the welfare system hasn't worked. So, you know, why should we try to help people or, you know, that kind of thinking? I was just wondering if you could speak into that. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's a, a very poignant question. Um, and um, even a, a, a observation that you've made regarding the welfare system. Um, being on the welfare system, yeah, it is not a perfect system. <laughs> it just that the reality it isn't right. It is it isn't now. Um, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the welfare system. If it wasn't for women, infants, and children, WIC. If it wasn't for food stamps. If it wasn't for I, I would have never been able to climb out of where uh, we were at. My mother was a single mother uh, raising four four children. Right. So the welfare system is imperfect. Right. But the system, at its core is trying to help those that are less fortunate. So for the people that um, do have a problem and do uh, you know, speak negatively about the system, say, okay, great. What, what do you think we should do in order to create equity in the world? Right? How do we create? Yeah, because if I'm going to say something, by the way, this doesn't have just to do with this, is with an idiot with anything. If I'm going to say something doesn't work, I better come with something that I think does. So I think a proper retort to that is, you know what? I think you've properly identified that there are certain flaws in the welfare system. What do you think we should change? And what are you, you, know, what are you willing to uh, commit and invest um, as far as your time, energy, whatever else to uh, trying to drive that change? And I think that's the proper way to respond to that. Thank you, Angie, for that great question. Um, I think we have one more, we have time for one more question. Um, so the question in the Q&A is, what do you do when you don't feel supported in your workspace, but you are alone, um, only woman of color, and don't want to lose your position, et cetera? So um, the first thing I would say to that um, is, For me, everything sits inside of integrity, everything, right? Knowing that I'm muting myself or not speaking up for myself is a very hard pill for me to swallow. So speaking to my experience isn't a bad thing. It isn't. Speaking to my experience or my desires or or my, you know, uh, uh, wanting a sense of belonging or uh, uh, impacts or wh whatever, there's nothing wrong with that. And I would want to be in, at a place that respects, embraces that, and actually is there to advocate for that, right? And there's stuff that I have to do in order to drive that. One thing I do promise you, if nothing's ever said, nothing will ever change. That's for certain, right? So uh, if you're in a place of discomfort regarding that, my advice is to speak to it, find an advocate to uh, ally with you to speak to it, um, figure out a way to partner with someone that could potentially have a certain amount of um, a certain amount of weight in the organization that might be able to partner or ally with you, something along those lines. But just sitting there in silence is only going to perpetuate the problem. Cool beans. All right. Well, are you open for one more? 
Um, we think we have time for one more? Sure, one more. Okay, this is it then. <laughs> um, so Chris asked, um, it's not only about good intentions. What initiatives, trends do you see in the workplace that don't work? And what are common misconceptions? Um, wow, that's, that's a loaded question. Lots of things don't work, right? Lots of, if there isn't, but I'll speak to one thing. If there isn't uh, alignment and a buy-in with, from leadership, most initiatives are going to fall flat. There needs to be alignment with leadership. And the way you get leaders to align with anything is dollars and cents, right? The reality is the workforce is changing. Uh, you know, there are studies that say that Generation Z, Gen Z, um, the next level of professionals coming up, uh, over 60% of them, I think like 68%, say that uh, uh, organizational uh, diversity um, and, um, and inclusive cultures and things of that nature are going to be paramount and how they determine where it is that they're going to work moving forward. That's not something that an organization can sacrifice. Th that's something you might want to align yourself with, right? So it's, it's those things that you have to get the leadership on board for and get the right level of, uh, of partnership with them uh, and or uh, the right amount of you know, uh, groundswell as far as dissatisfaction in a particular system that exists inside of an organization. Uh, that's necessary in order to really produce impactful change. Thank you, Ty. I, that's all of our questions. Cool beans. All right. Um, that is our time. So um, as I uh, leave you guys, whew, you know, we just touched on some really impactful topics. I thank all of you for you know coming into the chat and jumping on audio to engage. Um, it was really powerful and I think it created a richness that um, this topic really deserved, right? All right. So what do we do with all of it now? How do we author, remember I talked about authoring earlier, how do we author and design you know, how we will live in the world, right? How do we properly identify our inner dialogue, what's going on in our head, unleash it, when it doesn't show, have us showing up as the best version of ourselves, which we talked about multiple times today, right? How do we have the hard conversation about these really sensitive topics, which was an undercurrent of many of the questions that was asked today? How do I have a hard conversation about this? How do we have these conversations? Well, we've created a truly amazing digital coaching platform called InterU. I teased it a little bit earlier, uh, which is our self-guided online coaching course. Um, and it not only does it allow you to do the self-guided thing, but you know it comes with a community, right? And a free private coaching session and a six-week boot camp that will walk you through the first four modules because there are multiple modules inside of the program, right? So with that being said, um, you know, inner you is is pretty awesome, right? Um, it'll allow you to, you know, really, it'll, it'll give you the tools to stop really playing small in many really huge areas, right? Including your career and otherwise. Um, and I already talked about it comes with a career and all of that. This is like getting into you is like the equivalent of 15 private coaching sessions with me or with Lauren Zander herself. She's actually the founder of the Handel Method. Um, and this is what you get with interview. You get one free coaching call with a HG certified coach, you know, someone kind of like me. Um, you get access to a masterclass, a six-week coaching masterclass um, launching in May. Uh, and that meets uh, every week for six weeks on a Zoom call, similar to this. Um, uh, you own the coaching program for life. So you own the license for life and can do it as many times as you want. Uh, and, you know, uh, normally the cost of 15 coaching sessions with me, that's in the thousands of dollars, right? So we've created this because, you know, sometimes that doesn't fit into folks' budget, right? Um, so for everyone that, that you know, is interested, they can really get these tools and live inside of their dream um, for a retail price of $650, which is a one-time fee for uh, a lifetime subscription. But we're running a special right now, particularly for you guys that are on here with me right now. 
right. So uh, you can have enter your career, uh, which will encapsulate many of these to uh, of the topics that I talk about, hard conversations, uh, how to deal with your inner dialogue, um, how to author, all of these different things, the personal integrity and accountability model. You can get it for $100 off for the next 24 hours using the link that um, we're putting in the chat right now. Um, so spread the word. Yeah, you're welcome uh, to share this um, with uh, your folks. And um, uh, I hope you take advantage of it. Um, other than that, it's been uh, uh, my pleasure to sit with you today and to have this opportunity to chat with you guys today. Um, I appreciate all of the feedback and interaction. And you know, hopefully I'll have the opportunity to uh, come before this community once again. Thanks, everyone.